0: Good morning, church. I'm sad we couldn't gather in person as the rain got in the way of our plans, but it is always a blessing to be with all of you, whether online or in person. I'm always reminded that it was at FO that I preached my very first sermon. And here we are two years later, so much has changed and things look so different, but I'm encouraged by all of you, by your faithfulness and continued obedience to Christ, to honor Him and obey Him, it speaks to your faith and the wisdom of your leaders as they shepherd all of you. May we all seek for to find wisdom in God's word, trust in his providence and live sacrificial lives no matter what changes in the world around us. Let us praise God that he does not change. His word does not change. It is in this truth we rest and find comfort no matter the chaos that is all around us or the circumstances we may find ourselves in. God is the same yesterday, today and forever amen church let's just open in prayer before we uh, jump into today's sermon father i praise you and thank you so much for this day Um, i thank you lord for your word Um, i thank you lord for those at fellowship oshawa Um, lord i thank you for their lives Um, i pray father you would continue just to lead them and to guide them to um, make your face shine upon them Uh, just continue to be with them lord Um, i am so thankful for their faithfulness um, and obedience to you, um, truly a testament, Lord, to your goodness. Um, And Father, I ask that you would be with me today as I uh, preach your word. Um, Lord, may I not speak from any place of selfish ambition or self-righteousness, Lord, but um, preach your word um, in humility um, and in complete truth, just as your word is written. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask, Lord, that um, this time of worship uh, would be um, glorifying and it would uh, honor you. Um, here and now we pray this in jesus name amen so i know you have been in the gospel of matthew and we'll be picking up in matthew chapter 16 looking at verses 21 through 28 this morning jesus is in his third year of ministry here it's also known as the year of opposition for jesus and his ministry as the jewish elites are not too fond of the things jesus is doing or the following that he has, or the claims he is making as it threatens their positions and status amongst the people. In the midst of all of this, Jesus has been pouring into his disciples, teaching them, leading them, and shepherding them. They heard the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest teacher who ever lived in the Sermon on the Mount. And we see in the previous verses of chapter 16, Peter the Rock has made the profession that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the prophesied Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it is following this profession of faith that Jesus begins to prepare his dear friends for what is to come. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, looking at verses 21 through 28. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord! This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. There is a lot to get through here, so we're going to dive in right now. Today's message is titled, Living in Christ, the passion, the cost, and the glory. As Christians, as disciples, we must understand a few things, church. We're going to look at three of them. We must understand the passion of Christ. Look at verses 21 through 23 with me again. Jesus says, from that time, so what he's speaking of here is the time that they have now professed Christ as the Messiah. He began to show them And to tell them that he's going to Jerusalem, that he's going to suffer and he's ultimately going to die by the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, no way, Lord, far be it from you. This shall never happen. And Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, adversary. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You want to talk about a heated and passionate conversation? Well, here it is. This is a very tense setting. With Peter and the disciples having acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus begins to share with them the events that are to come. The sufferings Jesus endured and his death on the cross has come to be known as the Passion of Christ, specifically the time between his prayer in the garden to his crucifixion. Passion has come to mean something very different to most of us and in in society in general. But passion that I am referencing here comes from the Latin word padai, which means to endure or to suffer. Jesus tells them that he will suffer at the hands of the Jewish elders, chief priests, and scribes. And Peter has a very serious problem with this whole idea of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God, being killed by the hands of men. And he says, far be it from you, from you Lord. This, this can't happen. This, this will never happen to you. In Peter's mind, and we can assume this of all the disciples, They were expecting the Messiah to reign and rule, to overthrow Rome, and that Israel would once again rise to power and prestige. The time of messianic rule, to think of the Messiah suffering and dying, is not at all what Peter had in mind. Peter's reaction is not one that would have been acceptable from any student or pupil speaking to their teacher at this time and in this specific culture. No way, you don't talk like this. And for a guy that just confessed Jesus as the son of the living God, he sure wasn't thinking too clearly to openly reject and rebuke what Jesus had just spoken. We can apply passion as we know it, as we understand passion, to Peter's response here. Passion is we have come to understand passion in this day and age. Peter is in a state of shock. What Jesus has spoken has startled Peter. And I suspect his emotions have clouded his judgment. He's, he's upset. And Jesus rebukes him. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Can you imagine the scene here? Can you imagine the blow these words came with? Jesus brings the hammer down. The look on the other's faces must have been one of bewilderment. It was just complete shock. Did the Lord just call Peter Satan? Satan. Interpreters are unclear if Jesus was speaking directly to Satan or to Peter being influenced by Satan. But regardless of that, Jesus makes it crystal clear his meaning and purpose for using such strong words. You do not speak against the will of God. Peter's focus was wrong. Jesus says, You are a hindrance or stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but of man. Peter, The rock who received praise from Jesus just a few verses prior is now a stumbling block to the master. Peter goes from being the rock to a block. Peter's mind was on things of man. Maybe in his pride he thought he could protect Jesus or save Jesus from harm or that he knew a better way for all of this to take place. Maybe his intentions were good. But a warning to all of us, a warning to all of us that even good intentions outside of God's will can be in agreement with Satan and not Christ. Peter in this, mouth, in this moment was a mouthpiece for Satan. It is the passion of Christ that will bring salvation to all who will believe. Peter and the rest at this point are still learning this, and obviously Satan in his wickedness, as he does here with Peter and continues to do to this day, will attempt to get us questioning and doubting our Lord's will and ways, especially the way unto salvation and reconciliation to the Father. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is a deceiver, so we must be wise to keep our minds fixed on things above and live according to the Spirit. Paul says in Romans 85 5-8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Edmund Hebert, Bible commentator, says this of Peter, He was motivated not by the things of God, things related to God's purposes, but by them, things of men, the concerns of fallible human beings. His human desire to spare his master such sufferings prompted Peter to urge Jesus to avoid the very suffering to which Jesus had committed himself as the messianic servant. As followers of Christ, we must understand, church, the passion of Christ, the brutality of his sufferings, his death and his willingness to lay down his life as the propitiation for sin, the message of the cross, cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God, 1 Corinthians 1.18. May we never misunderstand or attempt to dumb down the passion of Christ by attempting to humanize our holy, righteous God, questioning his ways and methods, having our minds on the ways of men and not of God. This leaving us open to Satan's schemes. As Christians and disciples, we must understand the passion of Christ. And secondly, church, we must understand the cost. Look at verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? At first look here in verse 24, it would appear Jesus is speaking exclusively to his disciples, more of an intimate scenario and scene. But looking to the other gospel accounts and parallel verses in Mark 8.34 and Luke 9.23, we know that is not the case. Jesus is speaking not only to the disciples, but to many others. There's a crowd among them. And now Jesus shares with not only the disciples, but all who are listening, the cost of following him. If anyone would come, or wish to come, or desire to come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here's the first condition or cost. It is to deny oneself. And oh, how our current society loves that idea. Having to deny myself? What about my feelings? And what about what I want? And the verb that's used here, it's an imperative. To deny himself, it's not a suggestion. It's not a might or a maybe, but a command, definite obligation, an absolute necessity. And we in Christ know this is only made possible. We can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, who strengthens us to obey it. Not denying stuff and things, but denying yourself, denying you. Any hint of self-centeredness, being completely unselfish and submitting to Christ and his will completely. Christ is king, not you, not me. Our lives belong to him. Our thoughts, our desires, our wives, our husbands, children, family, friends, careers, our stuff, our whole life, everything must come under the authority of Jesus. We deny ourselves. What else do we see here? Secondly, Jesus commands the Christian, the disciple, he must take up his cross. This is the second time Jesus has mentioned the cross. You'll remember in Matthew 10:38, Jesus said, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The Jews here were familiar with the cross and crucifixion. It was how criminals were dealt with. Criminals had to carry their cross. It was literally a death march. Jesus is saying that as ones who follow him, we must be willing to not only deny ourselves as in turning away, but deny ourselves even unto death. And what a death he illustrates. We are to be willing to suffer crucifixion. It may not may not have been clear to all listening to Jesus at this very moment, But oh, how clear it would have been once they saw Jesus himself suffering and dying in this very manner that he is speaking of. The Gospel of Luke adds that this dying, this taking up of one's cross must be daily. It must be a daily occurrence. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and daily follow me, Luke 9.23. And just to be clear here, church, the cross we bear is not our daily struggles of work, and or a difficult marriage, or things that irritate us. It's not things that happen to you, making you some kind of victim. It is our willingness to bear the cross as we suffer for Christ, a difficult concept to grasp for us here in the West, as we have it so good here, and know nothing of persecution. I'll admit I am at times embarrassed as to what we here call persecution in comparison to what others face every day all over the world for their faith in Christ. So may we right now remember our brothers and sisters who are persecuted and literally losing their lives for their faith in Jesus. The ability to endure this kind of persecution is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Spurgeon says this, You have to bear the cross, but not the curse. Your Lord endured both cross and curse, but to you there is, no, there is not so much as a drop of divine anger in all that you are suffering Your Lord sends you a cross, but not a crush. It is meant to bear you down, but not to break you and grind you in the dust. Your cross is proportioned to your strength. Your cross is not a loss. We are to take up our cross, loved ones. And Jesus continues that we are to bear our cross and follow him. He says, and follow me. And in this, we see that as Christians, this is a lifestyle. It is just what we do as followers of Christ. We follow the way of the Master, we follow our Savior his will, his word, and his lordship, whatever, wherever that may lead us. Not as victims. We don't play the victim card. We willingly take up our cross for the cause of Christ because he alone is worthy. And Jesus continues in verses 25 and 26, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? To paraphrase this, Jesus is saying, now that you know who I am, are you willing to take up your cross and follow me? But hold on a second just before you answer. The world is going to think you're crazy and wasting your your whole life. They will never understand what you're doing. Everyone, including members of your family, are going to think you're throwing your life away. But hey, there's another option. You can always take the other path. You can try to save yourself by following your heart's desires. Lots of people do this living only for their careers and attaining wealth, boasting in their achievements, only to find out that the life they've lived and these things they've attained don't really matter or satisfy. Trying to save yourself by living for yourself is a waste and ends in ultimate loss. What good is it if you become the richest man or you get the fastest car or have all the power in the world to find out none of it matters? Will you be able to trade all of this for another life? No, you won't. But it's up to you, bro. Lots of people live this way. But in the end, they will be sorry. But it'll be too late to do anything about it. So what do you say? The way of the cross or the way of the world? Paul says, "As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, all my interest in, the, in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died." Galatians 6:14. And you know, church, I spent many years as a professing Christian completely blinded to this reality of there being a cost associated with following Jesus. I thought I got Jesus and everything else I could ever want, and he would make make sure I got it. I didn't fully understand the weight of my sin or the suffering Christ endured on my behalf. I was under this illusion that God just wanted me to be happy, and because I believed in stories of the Bible, I was good and right with God. How many are living in this same illusion right now? until we understand even just something, even just a little bit of the holiness of God, it's hard for us to understand the gravity of our sin. I truly believe this is why Satan tries to keep people from the word of God and he uses so many, there are so many trying to distort and manipulate God's truth and in turn deceiving many to believe a false gospel and have unsaving faith in a made-up Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. The truth of the gospel is offensive to our flesh and to this world, it comes with a cost, but praise God, He opened my eyes and continues to open the eyes of many others to the beauty of holiness over happiness. His glory, not mine. God literally transforms us from the inside out and aligns our desires with His. Following Christ and being His disciple comes with a cost, church. It is a life of self sacrifice, forgo- foregoing our wants and desires and aligning ourselves with His. It is taking up our cross. It is laying down our very lives, crucified with Christ, and placing our lives completely in the hands of Jesus, in service to Him and His will and in service to others, and daily choosing to follow Christ and walk in His righteousness. As Christians and disciples, we must understand the passion of Christ. We must understand the cost of Christ in following Him. And thirdly, we must understand His glory, the glory of Christ. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The glory of God. This gets me so excited, church. The glory of God to think of my Lord in all of his glory, to behold him and his majesty, his holiness as a blazing light of perfection. Just awesome. Jesus is telling of his second coming. Indeed, our Lord will come again, but this time not as a babe. He's not coming as a baby, but he's coming in the fullness of his glory as king. And oh, what a day that'll be. Jesus has just explained that hope in the world is worthless and now explains the why. Why? because he's going to come with his angels in all the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus is basically saying there is a day of judgment coming and nobody can escape it, and there are no exceptions. Just a reminder of John 5, 22, church, that it is Jesus that has been given all authority to judge. He will separate the sheep from the goats. This judgment of deeds is scattered throughout the Bible. God makes it clear, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works Ephesians 2:10 Our lives prove or display our allegiance to him how we live gives evidence to the realness of our profession of faith we read in 1 John and the book of James that faith without works being a byproduct of faith of that faith is dead no root no fruit and it is Christ it is Christ that will reward us according to how we have lived he will reward the righteous with glory in heaven and the wicked with damnation in hell. Mark 8.38, Jesus adds, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and holy angels. You reject and disown Christ here, he will reject and disown you there. On that day, very, very sad, very disturbing thought. But how could we ever deny our Lord? How could we ever deny our awesome, awesome Lord? Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, means death. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Works don't save us, church, but they are the evidence of a life saved. The work of the Holy Spirit within us is what cultivates these works of righteousness and upon which we will be rewarded. And as we continue to submit to Christ in us, not to our flesh, but to the Spirit, there will be fruit. Those who place their faith in works of the flesh to save themselves will be deeply ruined when it is revealed to them those things were done for nothing. In verse 28, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This verse can cause confusion for many. Some thinking it meant that Jesus would return and reign before some of the apostles died. And well, we know that is not how it went down. There's no apostles remaining. But the confusion is mainly due to to how the chapter breaks. In the very next verses of chapter 17, this promise of seeing the Son of Man coming in his kingdom is fulfilled as Jesus takes with him John, James, and Peter high up on a mountain. He's transfigured before them. They see the glory of Christ and they see Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. And to be expected, they fall down on their faces terrified. Now, I won't go further into this as you're going to hear more about this next week, but it was part of this passage, so I kind of had to reference it. As I conclude here, church, to live in Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus, we must understand the passion of Christ, his death, the height of his suffering and God's reasons for it, the cost of Christ, the cost to following him, that is denying ourselves, picking up our cross daily, dying to self and following Jesus no matter where that leads us. And we must understand the glory of Christ. It is his holiness revealed and it demands obedience. In a life that produces righteous works out of the overflow of our faith and love for Jesus to the praise and glory of God. We have such a privilege, church, to live in Christ. And because of this incredible honor, we must seek to know God's word so we can know him and have godly understanding, understanding our sinful state and why our Lord had to suffer such a horrible death to save us from it. To truly know the cost of following Jesus, giving up our lives for him and his and his will for us, and that one day we all will be judged and rewarded according to our deeds, and to truly understand the beauty of his glory and the fear of the Lord it should produce in us, to have been shown such grace by a holy righteous God that while we were enemies of God, while we were sinners, Christ died for us, and in his amazing grace and mercy he opened our eyes, giving us new hearts and granting us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. I hope all of us in Christ understand that salvation is a work of God, not a work of our own. Maybe, like me, you once lived a life thinking that knowing of of Jesus and some stories of the Bible was enough to get you right with God. You could have heaven and continue to live in sin, chasing the lusts of the world that never satisfy, not truly understanding the passion, the cost, or the glory of Christ. Or maybe you thought that by living by all the rules and being a religious person, you could work your way to heaven. Living on a roller coaster ride of pride, self righteousness, fear, and guilt of failing to live up to the standards of righteousness. I don't know if any of this sounds familiar to any of you, but one thing I know is that left to myself and my selfish desires, I wouldn't have chosen God. Salvation is a work of the Lord. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. It is only God that can change a heart, and it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live a life of self-sacrifice that strives to obey our King. We must abide in the vine every single day, church. Loved ones, let us daily pick up our cross, die to self and live lives of obedience and with eager anticipation of our coming King in all of His glory. Let us close in prayer. Father, I praise you and thank you for this time. Oh Lord, your word is so amazing. I praise you for your word, Lord. It has such power. It teaches us, Lord. It guides us. It is so amazing, Lord, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word. I pray, Lord, that you are honored and glorified in this time. I pray for those who listened. I pray, Lord, that this is, that your word as it has mine um, done a work in our lives and changed us forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.